Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Mysterious Spandex Society Read Aloud podcast. Today is episode 20, and we will be reading chapter 27, but first a recap of chapters 25 and 26. So in chapter 25, Sticky and Rennie went to see Mr. Curtin together, and they thought that they were in trouble, but when they got there, he made them messengers! Finally, their mission is getting somewhere. Then the children sent a message to Mr. Bendix telling him that Sticky and Rennie had become messengers, and he tried to send a message back, but they only received half of it because Mr. Curtin came out into the plaza. So we still don't know what that is all about. And then in chapter 26, Rennie and Sticky had their first day of special privileges, which was, as we know, broadcasting messages from their minds to the people of Stonebrook and the Institute from a machine called the Whisperer. And from what we heard from Rennie, it was quite an enjoyable machine. So we'll have to see how that pans out as well. Okay, that's the recap. Let's get to reading chapter 27. Chapter 27, Open Sesame. At lunchtime, Kate was tossing grapes into the air, so high they almost struck the cafeteria ceiling, then catching them in her mouth, where they made a satisfying plock. She did this without thinking, as it was an old habit with her always to toss grapes when she ate them. And so, although she might seem distracted, Kate was actually listening carefully as the boys told her of their experience in the Whispering Gallery. This was proven when Rennie said the Institute was going to close, and Kate, glancing down in disbelief, received a tunk, forehead instead of a plock. "'It's true,' Sticky said. "'Mr. Kern foresees a call to greater duty in the near future. He warned us to keep it quiet.' He'd already told us that one word about the Whisperer gets your messenger status revoked. And believe me, no messenger wants to chance that. I suppose if he knew we were telling you this. He'd toss you out of the tower, Kate said, wiping grape juice from her forehead. He told us all this, Rennie said, because he's considering keeping us around after the change. The improvement, as he calls it, to be trained up as executives. He said we get to use the Whisperer once a week as a reward for our service. Is it really all as great as all that? Constance said, sitting in a stupid chair and doing nothing. Rennie and Sticky glanced at each other and quickly glanced away. Neither wished to admit how overcome he'd been by the whisperer. In fact, Rennie had struggled not to sound excited, even fond, when he described it to the girls. Did he really want to say aloud that Mr. Curtin's machine had made him feel, well, happy? Instead, Rennie changed the subject. It's exhausting is what it is. That's why Mr. Curtin needs so many messengers. He also needs them to keep their minds fresh. Given the number of messengers, our turn should come again in about a week. Assuming... Oh, for crying out loud, there goes another one. The children scowled and clutched at their heads. Constance, though, looked not just annoyed, but perplexed, as if there were her first headed message broadcast instead of her thirteenth. Constance, Rennie said, are you... Quiet, Kate hissed. Here comes a sash. "'Hello, George. Hello, Renard,' the messenger said, ignoring the girls. He was a stout boy with braces so heavy rubber-banded that his mouth looked like a cat's cradle. "'On behalf of the other messengers, I want to congratulate you and to invite you to come join us at one of the messenger tables for meals. You know, to meth with messengers. Ha ha.' "'Ha ha,' said Rennie, as politely as possible. It wouldn't exactly help their mission to offend the other messengers, but neither did he wish to split up from Kate and Constance. He glanced at Sticky who had a curious, expectant look on his face, as if he really were considering joining the messengers. What was he thinking? Thanks so much, Rennie said quickly, but do you have any concerns about our stomach viruses? It might be a day or two until Sticky and I get over ours. Stomach viruses, said the boy. Stom- Oh, oh yes, said Sticky, catching on. 
We spent most of the last night throwing up. It was bad, too. I felt like I was being turned inside out. But Rennie's too cautious. We're probably not contagious. We should go ahead and join you. He grabbed his tray and made us sip to rise. Uh, no, no, I think Renard's probably right, said the boy, backing away. He covered his mouth and spoke from behind his hand. You can never be too careful with these things. Why don't you fellows give it a few days, and when you feel absolutely better, I mean 100%, then come over and join us. That's awfully nice of you, Rennie said as the messenger hurried away. Quick thinking, Kate said. And you too, Sticky. Pretty bold work. But what happened to Sticky Washington I know? You know, the shy and timid one? Give me a break, Sticky said, ducking his head. Ah, there he is. Sticky tried to smile, but in truth he was decidedly troubled. If Rennie hadn't spoken up just then, he wasn't at all sure what he would have done. He had actually wanted to join the messengers. Was that all it took to sway him, being asked? Did he want to go so much, he wanted to be so much that he would go and do anything? It was as if the whisperer had opened a door, and now Sticky couldn't close it again. He was so ashamed he could hardly look up. Rennie, meanwhile, felt deeply disturbed. The more he thought about his response to the whisperer, the more convinced he was that becoming a messenger had been a bad development, a blow to their mission rather than a boon. Because he was too weak to handle it, he needed to get through the mission and off this island before he faced the whisperer again. His next turn probably wouldn't be for several days, and yet he found himself glancing at the doors. Rennie cleared his throat. I think we need to... Please, Constance stabs, covering her ears. Rennie, will you please stop talking? Taken aback, Rennie closed his mouth and stared at her in surprise. What is your problem? Sticky said sharply. Constance lowered her hands and looked at Rennie with a mixture of ruefulness and irritation. Sorry about that, she said tersely. It's just that you've been on this whole time, and it's already getting old. One of you, maybe, but two of you is too much. On? Rennie repeated. Two of me? You know, Constance said, tapping her head. You're on the broadcast. It's you talking. The others looked at one another in amazement. Rennie was flabbergasted. Are you... are you sure, Constance? I mean, I'm... I'm right here. Constance thumped the side of her head, as if trying to clear water from her ears. It's like you're in stereo. Wow, Kate said, impressed. This must be really weird for the both of you. You know what this means, Sticky said? Mr. Curtin is recording the Whisperer sessions. He can record thoughts. But if he can do that, said Kate, then why does he need fresh messengers all the time? Why not just play his recordings? I think I know, said Rennie, finally recovering from his astonishment. He hasn't always been able to do it. Remember the modifications he wrote about in his journal? He said it in this morning, too. He said his whisperer was undergoing modification. That explains why he's not going to need messengers after the improvements, Diggy said. Once he's finished recording all of his messages, he'll have no use for messengers anymore. And he'll be able to broadcast his recordings around the clock, said Constance. She sighed miserably and closed her eyes. That's just peachy. That wasn't all, Rennie thought. He had a strong suspicion that as soon as Mr. Curtin had recorded his messages, he would boost them to full strength. It was all going to part of the improvement. But for Constance's sake, Rennie decided not to mention this aloud. She was already frightened, no doubt. Sitting there, eyes tightly shut, anxiously wondering what lay in store for her. Rennie felt an itch at the back of his mind. He had recently felt the same very way himself, but his eyes hadn't been closed exactly. We're almost out of time, aren't we? Sticky was saying. I never thought we'd still be on the island when all this bad stuff happened. Of course, I hope it would never would happen. I wish we could be doing something, Kate said. If we could just figure out what Mr. Benedict... She paused. 
Rinny, why are you looking at Constance like that? Constance opened her eyes to find Rinny staring at her. Mr. Benedict said with open eyes now, Rinny muttered, almost to himself, meaning before they were closed or blindfolded. Abruptly, he stood up. Quick, everyone, we still have time before class. Kate leaped to her feet. Her blue eyes twinkled with excitement. Where are we going? To find a place you must exit to enter. Moments later, the mysterious Benedict Society started on the plaza, exactly where the boys had stood that morning when Jackson blindfolded them. A few students milled about the rock garden, but there were no executives in sight. This is the spot, isn't it? Rennie said. I'm pretty sure, said Sticky, who still wasn't sure what Rennie was up to. Rennie had been in too much of a hurry to explain. And how many steps did we take before we went inside? Sticky told him, and Rennie looked at Kate. Which door would that take us to? Kate asked Sticky to take steps while she watched. Then one by one she studied the institute buildings. Finally, she shook her head. Based upon the length of your stride, that many steps wouldn't take you to any door of any building in the whole institute, front or back. Oh, Sticky said, certain he had been disappointed in Rennie somehow. I'm sorry, I was so nervous, you know, I guess I misremembered. I don't think so, said Rennie, who, far from looking disappointed, was growing more and more excited. We left the plaza, remember? We went down a walkway and then across grass. Grass, Sticky said. Hey, that's right. I was so anxious I didn't even think about that. And you know what? It was the same when Jillson took me to the waiting room. Rennie nodded. When Mr. Benedict said we must exit to enter, he must meant we would exit the buildings to enter someplace else, a place we can't get to from inside. Kate's face broke into a grin. It's the traps, isn't it? The number of steps you took would bring you almost exactly to the one behind the Institute Control Building. But why would we want to enter the traps? Constance asked doubtfully. Not the traps themselves, Rennie said. Remember how we thought the boulders were to help hide them? I think it's the other way around. The traps are there to keep us away from the boulders. Because the boulders are hiding secret entrances. Secret entrances, Constance said, trying hard not to look impressed. How did you think of that? Actually, I should have thought of it sooner, Rennie said. Sticky had already told me Jocelyn took him outside and blindfolded him. Obviously, the executives wanted to keep something hidden. Something other than the waiting room, I mean, because no sane person would ever want to find that place. I'll bet you anything the next line in Mr. Binnick's message was going to be something like, where one of you has been before. Sticky was mystified. But how would Mr. Benedict know? They're watching the Institute through the telescopes, remember? And the plaza's in plain sight of the mainland. They must have seen Jillson blindfold you and take you behind the Institute control building. That's how Mr. Benedict knew about it. So you mean something good came out of that? Sticky asked, his eyes suddenly shining with tears. I didn't go to the waiting room for nothing? You aren't going to start crying on us, are you? Asked Constance rudely. Not now, Sticky growled, removing his spectacles and swiping at his eyes. I believe you've cleared me right up. Anyway, Rennie said, the passages that led to the waiting room and the whispering gallery may also lead somewhere else. Somewhere important. We need to get inside them and find out. So what's next? Kate asked. Sneak around? Sneak around to the borders behind the building? We still have a few minutes before class. Rennie considered this. I think the ones up behind the dormitory will be safer. There's too much activity down here. Safer is good, Sticky said. Kate was bouncing on the balls of her feet. So what are we waiting for? The right moment, Rennie replied. As it happened, Rennie had a particular right moment in mind. The moment the day's classes had ended, when all the recruiters and most of the executives would be in the gym, marking the steps of their eerie dance. There would be far less of a chance of bumping into someone in the secret passages, he pointed out. But they would only have a few minutes. They needed to hurry. 
Luckily, hurrying was something at which Kate excelled. By the time the others had made it halfway up the hill to the stretch of the path, nearest to the drapeweed patch, Kate had already reached the hilltop well above them. A quick check to make sure no one was coming up the other side of the hill, a quick scan of the plaza to see if anyone was looking this way. Then Kate gave the all-clear sign, and the others ran over to hide behind the boulders. A minute later, she joined them. We found the entrance, Sticky told her, pointing to a barely detectable outline in the stone. The question is how to open it. We've already tried pushing it, sliding it, and begging it. No luck. Open sesame, Constance cried, then scouted the unmoving boulders as if she hated them. At the moment, Renny wasn't particularly fond of them either. He hadn't considered that it might be difficult getting into the secret entrances once you found them. Now here they stood, thwarted, while precious seconds ticked away. Kate glanced around to be sure they couldn't be seen, but Mr. Curtin had placed the entrance very carefully. The back of the boarders couldn't be seen from anywhere below, not from any window or door in the Institute. The same was true for the boarders behind the Institute control building. If students stared on the paths and walkways, as they were supposed to, they would never spot an executive using a secret entrance. Rennie, meanwhile, was casting about for a hidden lever or knob, anything that might open the door. Finding nothing, he growled. Come on, we don't have time for this. He gave the door a frustrated kick. To the amazement of all, the stone door immediately swung up and away, revealing an open archway. You kick it? Sticky cried incredulously. Rennie nodded, finally understanding. Mr. Curtin likes to ram through doors, he said. Have you noticed? The children hurried through the archway into a small, empty floor. The wall swung closed behind them, and immediately a light came on overhead. It was so bright they almost had to squint. Before them, an equally bright passageway curved away in a deep descent. Rennie had thought to post Constance near the entrance as a lookout, but he saw now what the lookout was pointless. After the passage curved away from the foyer, it descended for quite some time, under-erupted by other doorways and passages. If someone came in through the foyer, there would be no place for a lookout to hide. The children had no other choice but to keep together and hope for the best. Quickly, quietly, they moved down the passage. Constance was riding piggyback. Kate and Rennie were tiptoeing, and Sticky, who was bad at tiptoeing, he was brought to his knees rather too high, that he looked and sounded like a prancing horse, carried his shoes and walked silently in his socks. In the bright light, with no nooks or crannies to duck into, they all felt quite vulnerable. Near the bottom of the hill, they came upon another passage that branched off to their right, and slanted sleepily downward. They wouldn't need to investigate it, though they knew at once where it led. A remarkably foul odor hung in the air, and the passage descended to a lonely black door with an iron padlock. Near the door, the stone floor was slick with black mud, and from behind it came a high-pitched humming noise, punctuated with little clicks and scratches. Rennie turned. Sticky stood a few paces behind them, trembling and closing his eyes. Let's move on, Rennie said quickly. He and Kate took Sticky by the arms just as his knees appeared ready to buckle. He leaned on them gratefully as they hurried on. A dozen more paces, and children had come another passage that branched off to the left. This one led to a simple metal door. Regaining his composture, Sticky quit leaning on Kate and Rennie and sat at his shoulders. Whatever the door concealed, he wanted to comfort it bravely. Or at least more bravely than he handled the waiting room. And so, while Kate and Constance looked questioningly at Rennie, who seemed hesitant to be the one to open it, Sticky took the opportunity to press forward and give the door a sharp kick. This produced a sound very much like of a hammer closing down upon a finger, a sort of dull donk, and Sticky fell to the floor, catching his foot. Rennie pointed to a memory pad side with keypad beside the door. It's not like the outside doors, he whispered. It's locked. Sticky winced and put his shoes back on. So much for regaining composure. What's that? Kate said, pointing to a piece of paper stuck to the above, 
stuck to the wall above the door. It looks like a note. Here, Constance, let me lift you up. In a moment, Constance had the note. Printed in distinctive, awkward handwriting, it read, Lose the new code? Turn over for a new code. At the bottom of the paper, an arrow pointed down. The children shucked in their breath. Could it be as simple as this? Could they be so lucky? Eagerly, Rennie flipped the paper over. On the back was another note, this one in different handwriting. Attention all executives. You cannot leave notes like this. SQ, this had better be gone by tonight. Stop trying to be clever. Jackson. I knew it was too good to be true, said Constance. I don't get it, Sticky said. Why would SQ say turn over for code if he wasn't going to write the code on the back? It's SQ, remember, said Kate. Maybe he forgot to write it. My question is why Jackson didn't just take the note down himself. And miss a chance to scold SQ in front of the other executives, Constance asked. Good point, Kate said. Rennie was studying the note. There's something. The others looked at him expectantly. He rubbed his chin. Well, why did Jackson tell him not to try to be clever? Because Jackson knows it's pointless for SQ to try, said Constance. But he did try. That's what Jackson's saying. So the question is, what did SQ do that he thought was so clever? Surely it wasn't just leaving the note so high up. It was hard to reach, maybe, but not a hard spot. Kate read over the note again. Okay, why does he capitalize lose and over? It's not just for emphasis, is it? I think it's going to call attention to them, Rennie said. There's something special about them. He trailed off, considering. Well, both words have four letters, Sticker offered, hoping somehow this was a helpful thing to point out. Maybe the code's in invisible ink, Constance suggested. With invisible ink, he could have just written the code on the front, Rennie said. What would be the point in turning the note over? You think SQ, everything SQ does has a point? Sticky said. Suddenly, Rooney stifled a laugh. Wait a minute, I have it. Turning the note over is the point. SQ, you devil. Um, Rooney, said Kate. We did turn it over, remember? There's nothing there. We turned to the back of the paper, Rooney said. SQ didn't mean that. He meant to turn the note upside down. I still don't get it, Sticky said. Think of it this way. What if the note said... What if the note read, is lose the new code? The answer is yes, because you have to turn it over. Rennie turned the note upside down and pointed to the word lose. The number, the letters were now under the numbers 3507. Hey, that is clever, said Sticky, for SQ, I mean. We're just lucky enough he's not clever enough to remember the code without leaving notes, Rennie said. The note was returned to its proper place, and the children prepared themselves. Now that they had a moment's pause, their minds had filled up with questions. What would they find behind the store? What if it was terrifying? Or what if it was exactly Mr. Bennett needed? Or what if... This had suddenly occurred to Rennie. What if SQ's note had been left on purpose? To trick sneaking children like themselves? Rennie saw a troubled look across Kate's face. Had it occurred to her too? Mr. Curran suspected another snoop on the island. That was why he changed the door codes after all. So what if... We need to think about this, Rennie whispered, but Kate was already reaching for the keypad. No time for thinking. He's coming. He? He? Sticky repeated. That was why Kate's expression had changed. She'd heard something, and now Rennie and the others heard it too. Down the made passage, growing louder by the second, an electric whine, a shifting of gears. It was Mr. Curtin. They had no choice but to go through this door, even though Rennie had no answer to the last burning question. What if it was a trap? Mm -hmm.